Josh Gladstone has served as artistic director of the John Drew Theater at Guildhall since 2000, where most recently he directed Alec Baldwin, Blair Underwood, and Rob Morrow in the comedy Stand the Man by Eugene Pack, and acted alongside Mercedes Rule and F. Murray Abraham in Jules Pfeiffer's A Bad Friend, an evening celebrating the playwright's 90th birthday. At the Drew, he's directed and produced such plays as Romeo and Juliet, Extinction, Steve Martin's The Underpants, All My Sons, starring Laurie Metcalf and Alec Baldwin, Clever Little Lies, starring Marlo Thomas, Tony Walton's productions of Tonight at 8.30, starring Blythe Danner, Equus, starring Alec Baldwin, and Moby Dick Rehearse, starring Peter Boyle, and The Glass Menagerie, starring Amy Irving. Regional credits include The Children's Theatre Company, Shakespeare Theatre D.C., and four seasons as artistic director of Hampton Shakespeare Festival. Josh Gladstone, yes. welcome to the creative process. Thank you, thanks for having me. Uh, so we're here um, backstage, uh, the, the John Drew Theater in Guildhall, and uh, just tell me a little bit about how you came to um, direct for Guildhall and um, some of your recent projects. And... Well, thanks, thanks for asking. Um, I'm the artistic director of the John Drew Theater, mm -hmm. which is a 360-seat proscenium stage at uh, Guildhall. Guildhall is a arts center that's been here since 1931. It's a museum, a theater, and an education center, and uh, it's uh, serves the community year-round. Uh, we do plays, we do concerts, we uh, produce work, we present work, we partner with artists, we make the space available, we do everything from concerts and staged readings, we do dance performances, um, and since the year 2000, I have been um, the producer the, uh, here and have basically been involved in every project in some way or another that has gone across the stage for the last 19 seasons or whatever it is. Um, and my background is uh, in the theater. First and foremost, I was trained as an actor at Circle in the Square Theater School in New York, which was a wonderful complex of basement classrooms underneath the Broadway stage. Mm -hmm. And um, had acted prior to that to an undergraduate and, and some professional work in the city, went to training. And then after doing Circle in the Square, uh, some actor friends and I started uh, a Shakespeare festival out here in the Hamptons. I had always spent time out here as a kid every summer um, in Amagansett. And uh, my cousin, David Brandenburg, who's a composer, at the time was working for Meet the Composer, and I had just come back from a, a gig playing Babar, the Elephant King's rear quarters. I was basically Babar's ass at the Children's Theater Company in Minneapolis. And I didn't, I felt as a, as a Shakespearean trained actor mm -hmm. from New York's Broadway Circle in a Square to play Babar's ass was not the right direction mm -hmm. for my career. Yeah. So I came back to New York and my mm -hmm. cousin and I were talking and we said, boy, wouldn't it be great to spend a summer out at the beach again? And wouldn't it be nice to do theater out at the beach? And I said, ooh, Hampton Shakespeare Festival, that's, that name's got a ring. And he said, mm -hmm. I love it. Let's do it. 
and he had a contact at the Suffolk County Parks Department at the mm. Montauk County Parks. It was a beautiful, big outdoor space, and uh, and it had a natural amphitheater and some cabins. So I reached out to a bunch of my uh, acting friends from Circle in the Square, who were all basically unemployed after mm -hmm. conservatory, and said, hey, we've got this park. Mm -hmm. David's got this contact at this park in Montauk. Do you guys want to come out and we'll do Romeo and Juliet? Mm -hmm. And a bunch of them said yes. young actor named Torquil Campbell, who went on to become a rock and roll star, uh, but at the time he was very excited. And we took a bunch of our classmates and we had never produced a show, never put on a show, had no idea if anything would work in the Hamptons, but we knew it would be fun to be out here by the beach. Yeah. And then uh, we rehearsed in the city, and then we came out here, and we lived in the cabins, and the first night we had a performance, we didn't know what to expect, and mm -hmm. but we had a local group of madrigal singers, mm -hmm. and they came and were singing as... as uh, the audience would come in, there was this group singing. So we were up in the hill, in the cabins, getting our costumes on, and we heard this choir of heavenly voices, and we looked down onto the natural amphitheater down the hill, and there were 500 families setting up with blankets and picnic chairs, and it was mm -hmm. the sun was high, and it was a gorgeous moment. And we said, wow, okay, mm -hmm. this is, if you build it, they will come moment. Yeah. And uh, we did the show, and it was greeted with a lot of enthusiasm. It was a young, dynamic company. Actually, the photographer, Richard Avedon, had a house right up the block from the park where we were performing, and he mm -hmm. happened to come to mm -hmm. the performances, and he's always been a great admirer of actors and, and performers. Mm -hmm. So he became our patron early on, oh, and we would spend... Uh, the summer swimming at Dick's place and up on the cliff, they had a. He's got a home overlooking. At that time, he had a home overlooking the the ocean, and we would barbecue and have clam bakes up there. And 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 he became our sponsor for a few years. And uh, and we ran the Shakespeare Festival for about four or five years. Mm -hmm. But I got involved with my wife, who was a classmate of mine at Circle and Square. He met with yes. Kate. Yeah. And and we. Got pregnant on our honeymoon, mm -hmm. right after working on the Tempest, and uh, living in Brooklyn, we said, "Oh my God, we got a baby coming!" And as great as the Shakespeare Festival is, neither of us have two nickels. What are we gonna do? We got a kid coming, mm -hmm. and Kate and I both grew up in the country, mm -hmm. and we said, "Wouldn't it be nice to raise our our kid out in the Hamptons?" Mm -hmm. And sure enough, I got very lucky to see in the New York Times a listing for a director at Guild Hall position, mm -hmm. and this was in 2000, even late 99, and, and I was at Guild Hall. I said, that's, a th that's one of the big, you know, the only theaters out there in the Hamptons. Mm -hmm. And so I applied, and at that time there was a new executive director named Ruth Applehoff, who had mm -hmm. just started a couple of months in the position before me. Mm -hmm. And she was basically putting together a new team and I went through a series of interviews, mm -hmm. and Emma Walton, who you probably spoke with, and I Steve Hamilton her, yeah. at, at Bay Street, yeah. uh, they had seen a few of the shows that I did out in Montauk, mm -hmm. and they were familiar with the work, and they said, oh yeah, he's a hard worker, they do good work out there in Montauk. They had said to Ruth, you should totally give this guy a chance. So Ruth said, I know you've got a young family on the way, and but I'll give you the job and give it a shot. So I moved my pregnant wife out here, and we got a house out here, and we had never lived out here, and didn't know what to expect except that we knew the community from the mm -hmm. summer. Yeah. And we became year-round residents, and I started this job. And uh, ever since, it's been a fantastic 
adventure in the arts. You talk about creative process. Mm-hmm. Um, having mostly had experience in theater and acting, a little bit of directing at the Shakespeare Festival, a little bit of producing, working at Guildhall, I've had a chance, and you can see the pictures in the office oh, and the, the pictures that were backstage. And, it's, uh, uh, it's been an incredible uh, adventure meeting with with all kinds let's of just people talk like about you know let's, let's talk about some of the the photos you have here and your experience working with these actors i mean sure that would be good. well in in this office there's uh-huh. pictures of nathan lane and mario cantone and kathleen chalfont and joy behar and danny glover and mandy patinkin is over there underneath blythe danner these are all the headshots liza minnelli is up there james earl jones is over there spalding gray who lived in the hamptons harris Eulen's picture is here harris has been a tremendously useful uh, director to know and work with because he's so well connected in the industry he's got such a long career and he's mm-hmm. he himself has i've produced shows for him he did the glass menagerie with amy irving and eben yeah. moss backrack a few years ago that was right after we renovated because when I got here, the place was a disaster structurally, and, and Ruth and the board wanted to renovate it. Because really, I mean, you could walk in the theater and put your hand right through the seat. It was so rotten and old, and everything was well, falling it's beautiful. apart. beautiful. I mean, we were just out there, and it's Thank just, you. It's, it's a beautiful beautiful house and to and to think and that you have the opportunity and our visitors have the opportunity to see all these greats in this kind of um, it's not the same, uh, you know, out in, you know, in the city or whatever, if you see them. It just seems, yeah. this, it, it just feel like a family, a community. I and mean, there are others over here. We have Alan Alda. We have, yeah. Just Roy Scheider about. was, uh, uh, Peter Boyle did a, one of the last plays that Peter Boyle did. Um, we did a production that Tony Walton directed, which mm-hmm. was um, Moby Dick rehearsed. Yeah. And Peter Walton played, uh, uh, Tony played, Tony directed and Peter played Ahab and that was mm-hmm. one of the first big plays that we did here back in 2005. Wow. Um, there were a handful of plays we did before that. On the, There's posters on the wall of Macbeth. Mm-hmm. When I got here I started to do some of the Shakespeare plays working sure. sometimes with kids from the community and professional artists. Michael Nathanson played Hamlet with us in 2005 shortly before we did uh, Moby Dick rehearse. But um, Alec Baldwin, Eric Bogosian's up there, Jeffrey mm-hmm. Tambor, Melissa Errico. There's Ann Jackson and Eli Wallach, oh, okay. uh, who uh, lived in East Hampton about two blocks from here and mm-hmm. used to. They were involved in the John Drew Theater from the 60s and the 70s and the 80s, uh, all through the, much of their life. They were l- lifetime performers at Guildhall, always in right. the summer doing a little something. And I was lucky enough, he, you know, he worked up until his 90s and he was still working as sharp oh, yeah. as a tack. Yeah, so we had a pleasure uh, getting to know him. And, and even others, uh, Laurie Anderson. Laurie know. Anderson, Leslie Odom from uh, Hamilton was here oh, a couple of years ago. It's fantastic. fantastic. Judd Hirsch, Charles Durning. I, I got a chance to drive in my car. With uh-huh. Charles Durning and Jack Klugman, you know, Jack Klugman ah, yes, from yes, The Odd yes. Couple. And the two guys were in the back of my Toyota. And, you know, uh, having studied at Circle in the Square and worked in the city in the basement and been the hindquarters of Babar. And then the next surreal couple of years later, I'm driving around the Hamptons with Charles Durning and Jack Klugman, who are two character actors that I admired yeah. all my life. It was a surreal experience. Um there's been so many artists here. This just this last summer, Questlove was here interviewing Jerry Seinfeld on the stage, and 
Uh, Alec Baldwin has been our board president for a number of years. He sure. he liked the renovations. He liked the show mm-hmm. that Harris Eulen did with Amy Irving. He loved mm-hmm. the Glass Menagerie, and so mm-hmm. and he loved the renovation. So he said, well, "I want to get involved with you guys." Mm-hmm. And the next year, he did a production of Equus that Tony yes. Walton directed. And I was honored to produce. And he got excited about the theater. A couple of years later, mm-hmm. he did a big production of All My Sons uh, here that Steve Hamilton directed. And um, Laurie Metcalf. No, no, just all those talents. It's a, it's amazing. My name is Emma Vion, and I work with the creative process as a podcast producer. I've always been interested in the arts, but some of my most rewarding experiences came from my time in musical theater. I loved listening to Mr. Josh Gladstone discuss his career and the path to his success, especially as a thespian. Mr. Gladstone enjoys a successful career at the John Drew Theater of Guildhall because, as a young actor, he was bold enough to create his own professional opportunities. When he struggled to find work that would excite him, he started a project of his own, the Hamptons Shakespeare Festival. Not only did he exercise skills acquired at Circle in the Square, he also learned new skills. In the interview, Mr. Gladstone admits that he didn't know anything about producing before the Shakespeare Festival, but involvement with the project helped him to learn the responsibilities of a producer. His diverse skill set and personal initiative surely recommended him for his current position at Guild Hall. Without strong motivation, Mr. Gladstone might still be stuck playing Babar's rear end. His willingness to forge his own path, even as a young actor with little funds and less experience, is expiring to all young artists who feel that the opportunities presented to them just aren't right. Starting a business or opening a gallery or forming a band is scary, but nothing is worse than ditching a dream. Mr. Gladstone is a great role model for all artists, not just actors, who want to exchange an unfulfilling job for the career of their dreams. It might be a risk, but as Mr. Gladstone proves, the benefits are innumerable. And it's amazing. And I wonder also, you know, going back to your experience founding the Hampton Shakespeare uh, Festival, and you're working, I think, with actors. It's as I understand, it's a it's a small it's a community. It's almost like a family. But then, when you're actually working and living, or you're bringing your actors in, into the Hamptons, and what does that do in, in terms of the depth of performance? You know, feel that that might give a different atmosphere. Absolutely, mm-hmm. absolutely. Because, and we've done a lot of different variations mm-hmm. of shows. Yeah. Obviously, back in the grassroots days of the Shakespeare Festival, it mm-hmm. was all hungry young actors right. uh, living together, cooking together, going to the beach together, rehearsing Shakespeare. Nobody had any money, mm-hmm. and it was very romantic. We would go up to Dick's house mm-hmm. and swim in the pool and go to the beach, and at night we would perform for hundreds of people doing As You Like It or The Tempest mm-hmm. or Romeo and Juliet. I think Midsummer Night's Dream was the first 
first play I directed back in 97. And we worked for a good six, seven weeks in rehearsal, which mm -hmm. was everybody was doing it as a labor of love. So mm -hmm. we didn't have to worry about equity regulations and budget so much. Mm -hmm. Although we did pay people a few bucks. It was glorious to have that unity and that spirit. And, and you know, people fought. There was ego involved. Mm -hmm. But but people mostly had, a, I think, a good time. And even though I came to Guildhall, my cousin David kept the Shakespeare Festival going for a good, uh, until 2006. So he had a good mm -hmm. 10 or 11 years yeah. with that uh, when I came over here. My son, Augie, uh, when I came over here, I started to do Shakespeare here, as I mentioned. And my son, Augie, was growing up in the theater. He was... You know, my wife was playing Lady Capulet and she was nursing Augie, uh, who was one year old at the time and growing up here in the theater. And by the time he was three and we were doing the Cherry Orchard, he wanted to be in the shows. And we had young actors and some high school kids in these off-season educational programs and some equity professionals. And my kid was running around in his diapers and other actors bought their kids. And it was really... Uh, created a sense of community in the theater that was wonderful. By the time my son was six, he was on Broadway himself mm -hmm. doing uh, Tom Stepard's play, The Coast of Utopia. So he grew up around it, and we were able to have that life with him in the theater. Um, but it's other a wonderful experience to share. Fantastic! With yeah. and my wife and I have had the you know joy of just recently doing a Romeo and Juliet production. Eighteen mm -hmm. years later, this last March, and again it introduced high school kids mm -hmm. to professional fight director like Dan Rankin who came out and worked with us or my wife who's a professional choreographer and so there's I've loved the projects that have been sort of from the heart mm -hmm. and and not about equity and not about budgets but have been about just the project and the love of the play but sure. we've also done these you know like I said Lori Midcalf and Alec yeah. these big productions that have been all equity casts and I think the people who, you know, we did the underpants from Syracuse stage and we bought in Marlo Thomas did a play, Clever Little Lies. Steve that Martin. Was Steve Martin had the playwright on that. Mm -hmm. And so in the summer, the, these plays I'm talking about, the Shakespeare's have always been kind of in the off season in the winter yeah. and have been very community based. And then in the summer, we do these glitzier, bigger productions mm -hmm. that usually have had a celebrity at the center of them, whether it's Blythe Danner and Tony Walton working on something or Peter Boyle, as I mentioned. Um, and those have had more pressure from the board to succeed. Ticket sales mm -hmm. have been important. But but I would say even in those productions, the actors and the artists who have come out, who have either mm -hmm. lived in guest houses that we've rented or mm -hmm. stayed at our guild house, which we just bought a couple of years ago mm -hmm. that's right next door where we're going to see, it, where we're going to go tonight shortly. Yeah. Uh, those artists have had their own sense of community and their own joy because the Hamptons is a wonderfully welcoming place to make art, as you're probably getting a sense oh, in talking to all They've of been these so artists. They're so welcoming to me, and I just had, had to say, I'm just so excited. Well, I'm obviously I'm coming back to do more interviews, but the museums and cultural and it's in the library, just that's just in the Sag Harbor. But then here, um, and they're saying, oh, we're doing opening a new park, <laughs> and you can exhibit that there. And I didn't even know about these things, so they've just been they're so embracing. So I can't imagine what that's like. As an actor, it's know? a great place to it's be. It's not a cutthroat place. It's a. It's not a. It's you know. It, I just think it's a great. Um, how do you say incubator for mm, mm. imagination? I think going back to the time of the you know Jackson Pollock and before sure. him and the tile painters and all the artists, this has been an artist colony. Yeah, and and I think there's still a spirit of that around, although it also draws artists at the most 
world-class successful level because the real estate out here by the beach is very expensive so you have sure. world-class people Spielberg is here and we just did, did a, a show with his young son Sawyer Spielberg uh, a oh, couple yeah. of years ago so you have the children and the relatives of, of Roy Scheider's son Christian Scheider just directed a big show here in this last summer called mm -hmm. The Summit so there's generations of artists who have lived here from very successful levels and then there's also you know kids from the high school mm -hmm. uh, you know who have never acted before who then get introduced to the stage or a project and and they have this experience in working in the same place where some of the greatest artists in the world have been well, so. that's that's so inspiring yeah so there's two two things if you could talk about some of the educational uh, initiatives and community outreach and then also I would if you could talk about the difference your different approaches as you did you know Shakespeare some period pieces to more contemporary voices well I, the educational efforts at guild hall mm -hmm. have been ongoing through mm -hmm. the years um there have been classes here i would say the most consistent educational process has been my wife kate work Kate Muth sure. she the neoliberal she's yeah. done she's neopolitical yeah it's all right different meaning <laughs> <laughs> neoliberal calculus. well they're very liberal they're very progressive but uh, um, you know and she does work that's focused so much on women's voices and the mm -hmm. voices of those whose stories are not told and uh, you've uh, collaborated and acted uh, that, it's yeah. been a great joy in my life is uh -huh. to share the work together uh -huh. um, so she's done work in the schools in Montauk, mm -hmm. a program called Drama Lit that she created that yeah. gave kids an access to do to learn about literature mm -hmm. and stories through theater games and exercises, things mm -hmm. that we had learned when we studied at Circle in the Square and uh, ways that they could access text mm -hmm. as an actor access text, breaking it down, understanding mm -hmm. subtext and beats and meaning. And that has been tremendously helpful for many years. Guild Hall has been involved in that project mm -hmm. in many of the schools. We do anti-bullying programs that, that, mm -hmm. that Kate Spearhead. So, um, so there's there's been classes in the theater. Mm -hmm. We've taught scene study classes. We've worked with kids and young adult, young actors. Um, mm -hmm. And, you know, we've paired meant people together. A lot of times I just got an email uh, yesterday from an actor named Max uh, Solomon, who was here a couple last year to do a play, the one that uh, James Earl Jones did and Harris Ulan directed. And in that play was a great Broadway actor named uh, Paul Hecht. Mm -hmm. And Paul has a Tony Award winner. And he has since sort of retired, Paul, mm -hmm. but he lives out here in Amagansett. Mm -hmm. And he got friendly at the stage reading with this young actor. And they've now gone out to brunch and they've, they're mm -hmm. bagel buddies. And Paul now uh, gives Max uh, help as a mentor. So mm -hmm. these relationships have just sort of organically popped up over the years. I have kids that I knew in high school. Isaac Klein was a director that, you know, he came in as a high school student and did mm -hmm. Macbeth with us. And then he went on to the North Carolina School for the Arts and became a director. And now he's written a book about his experiences working with the great director, Gerald Friedman. And he's come back to the community and he's given back to the artists here. He's acted and directed here. So so there's been, a, you know, 20 years where the kids who were here 20 years ago are now young professionals. Some of the actors that played Romeo and Juliet 20 years ago are now on television regularly. Mm -hmm. and, and you can see Nick Fondoulis and Joanna Howard, actors that 
that worked here as kids that are that have gone on in their lives and and have stayed connected with the theater. So I guess that's an educational mm-hmm. cons- through line through the years. Mm-hmm. Um, I I think I'm always learning because every artist, every contract that you write, every deal, whether it's the Beach Boys coming here or the Avid Brothers, or there's something to learn from all these people. Neil deGrasse Tyson was here talking about, you know, the guys, one of the pilots from the the space station was here talking this summer about Uh his experiences. So, so being at the theater where there's so many, you know, great writers have come and poets, Phil Schultz, who lives in town is a, the Pulitzer winner and so many great mm-hmm. playwrights have been through here, Joe Pintaro and Marsha Norman. And it, it's been an amazing, it's, you know, it's a circus tent in the John Drew yes. theater. It's a big, gorgeous circus tent. Right. And it feels like it's a tent that's welcoming to all aspects of creative life. Mm-hmm. And they come to play under the tent and the community enjoys it. And I've been very fortunate that for 20 years I've been, the steward of this place and mm-hmm. and been able to interact with these incredible artists and and have a life in the arts mm-hmm. um now that my son has grown up and he's gone off to college for the in emerson i don't know what the future holds mm-hmm. uh he's had his life growing up here playing in the oceans and the bays and being around what theater a great and foundation a though, great yeah. foundation and my wife and i kind of look at each other in the empty nest and say okay we raised him he's a big guy what do we do now but Mm -hmm. i i you know i salute her because she's taking her work out of the hamptons and doing stuff in berlin and finland and new york and Mm -hmm. so and and now i have to think maybe i want to do some work too that Mm -hmm. you know as much as i've enjoyed being here and having this experience so uh who knows we'll see and so as a director and also as a performer I mean, how do they those two activities inform each other? I, I'm interested in the casting process, the <laughs> rehearsal process. You know what you look for in actors, and or in building an ensemble, or yeah, and then, you know, just talk about that, and and then the experience of being an actor. Well, I I think that there's a holistic quality to being a theater artist. You know, in the old days, you had theater managers, and they were everything. They, you know, you look back at Shakespeare's day; they wrote, they produced, yeah. they traveled, they mm-hmm. got the you know they got their funds from patrons, and they you know they did they they were actor managers, and mm-hmm. and the day, the era of the actor manager has has probably passed, but mm-hmm. in an, in a curious way, I feel like I've I've been living that life as an actor manager because. Uh, because I will both act, direct, or produce, and they all inform each other. You, mm-hmm. you know, they're all part of the same creative language, you, you know. Mm-hmm. And I think having been an actor and first and foremost loving being an actor, I, I think I know how to speak and communicate with other actors at various levels, whether they're very established or whether they're uh, kids coming up who have just an interest. And, and hopefully what I look for as a director are actors that have that spark of energy, that curiosity, mm-hmm. the imagination and playfulness that they want to jump in and learn and work, and they're not shy, they're brave and they're bright, mm-hmm. and and they're willing to be part of a collaborative and ensemble experience. When I'm directing, 
uh, it's often not just about the, the credits on the resume, but it's about that energy and, and, and that passion that they may bring to a project. That's why I like particularly working with younger actors who are starting out in their career. They're coming at it with, they're not jaded. But I also love working with seasoned professionals because it's always a joy to see great artists who can who are so in control of their instruments, who are mm -hmm. able to summon forth their emotions with such ease and who are able to n play with language in such a nuanced way mm -hmm. that it's always a joy to work with. It, it, you know, the commonality is is the love of the process. Mm -hmm. So I hope to engender that with artists that I work with. And I and I hope to be inspired by artists I work with. I look for those who inspire me, and I find that in the rehearsal room, the best work comes from letting artists really explore and play and be mm -hmm. free. And then and then you start to shape the clay and mm -hmm. form. You don't you don't have the performance set until very late in mm -hmm. at least in my process, mm -hmm. allowing a lot of fluidity to happen along the way. So in and I love to work that way as an actor. I'm never a fan of directors that come in and tell you go here go there say it this way go you know i want it to look a certain way you know it's one thing to be a puppet and it's another thing to to be trusted as a performer yeah well it's a whole person thing it's a whole experience that you and you can't just i don't know cut thing it's it's different that's film allows you to have that kind of sculpting that level of control oh, yeah. But um, it's, it's against the spirit of the theater, I think. And then <laughs> speaking broadly about what was quite unique about Guildhall um, beyond your um, the the theater is that you know it's a museum exhibition space. You have these other. Could you speak about the other um, disciplines under, that are under the umbrella of Guildhall? Yes, yes. Well, and and you know I, I had no experience in dance in my life other than admiring it. Mm -hmm. But now we've had the opportunity to work with artists from Palabolis, artists from- I interviewed Itamar Kabul. Right? Yeah, um, yeah. How, 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 mm -hmm. what a blessing it is mm -hmm. to see that work live right, here yeah. in, in a small intimate space like the theater. Mm -hmm. New York City Ballet comes back every year. American yeah. Ballet Theater we've worked mm -hmm. with here. We've worked with um, Paul Taylor too, and we've worked with, um, uh, Alvin Ailey too, and we were, you know, I mean, these incredible performers have been through here. Uh, opera, you know, mm -hmm. I've gotten an appreciation now. We have the Metropolitan Opera does our telecasts, and they're mm -hmm. widely attended and loved. Um, we've gotten to bring in work from other film. We've, you know, worked closely with the Hamptons International Film Festival, which mm -hmm. has been growing. I don't know if you've spoken yeah. with them yet or not yet, um, but they're. I Yes, worth talking working, to yeah. David Nugent, their their uh, curator. But you know, to get a sense of these incredible first run features that have been shown here, the the film publicist Peggy Siegel has been doing a lot of work here at the theater, bringing films in, and ah, uh, you know, the concert artists I mentioned, the Beach Boys and the Broadway people like yeah. Audra McDonald and Leslie Odom and Mandy Patinkin and you know Barbara Cook and these legendary singers have have been here. So to experience that firsthand these incredible jazz artists Wynton Marsalis and mm -hmm. uh, you know it's 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 humbling to yeah. see these world-class artists right up on this little stage that's also yeah. got you know my three-year-old son running around playing Chekhov when he's a mm -hmm. little kid so so that that to me has been uh fascinating to you know 
I, I don't know if I'm forgetting. What, what am I forgetting? All the perform, all the performance arts have mm -hmm. been here. I mean, we've had burlesque, we've had, mm -hmm. you know, play readings, we've had performance art, we've had bubbles, we've had dog shows for kids. We, yeah. You know, we've had uh, monsters and puppets and mm -hmm. everything. It's all been here. Wild animals that have been on the stage and animal shows, which. Mm -hmm which were then protested, you have no business bringing animals on stage. Okay, sorry. But we did, but the dog shows we keep bringing because they're domestic animals. So. Yeah. so you name it, it's a circus tent. We've had aerialists, we've had contortionists, jugglers, fire eaters, mm -hmm. every kind of performance that, that you can think of. And it's not just in the time that I've been here. I mean, this, this theater is was part of the Straw Hat Circuit back in the 40s and the 50s. And you have people mm -hmm. like... Elaine Stritch, before anybody knew who she was, mm -hmm. who was just a young girl playing in the Straw Hat Circuit, and she was in a production with Bela Lugosi, the great mm -hmm. horror actor, doing Dracula together. Yeah. And that happened here. Thornton Wilder, who's one of the great American playwrights of, of any age, mm -hmm. was here playing the role of the stage manager in our town. Mm -hmm. um, the the history of the Lauren Bacall and the people that have been here is is a legacy that that is something to be proud of i mean this institution <laughs> is a little tiny place it's 360 seats and and it's yet it's been here for you know 80 90 years mm -hmm. and the people that have come through is mind-boggling who's been here it's kind of and it, and it's a testament to this community to the hamptons mm -hmm. which is which attracts the spirit of beauty. Uh, well, here. you have a very you have very involved audiences. Mm. You know, they're really your supporters of the arts. You know, okay. uh, for you know, like it is a small town, right? Mm -hmm. These are a series of small towns in the Hamptons, mm -hmm. and yet the the cultural um, appreciation is that of a big city. You know, I'm, all the yeah. second homeowners. I mean, yeah. you have a you have a lot of very sophisticated people from the top of the game in media and entertainment and fashion and advertising and law. And and these people come to the Hamptons to relax and they support right. the arts. And you know, these are people who are on the board of trustees at Lincoln Center and the Philharmonic. And these are people who are very sophisticated in the city. So when they come out in the yeah. summer, they want to have a cultural place that is at the mm -hmm. level of sophistication that I think they're used to. And the local community, the year-round community, has benefited from that generosity ever since mm -hmm. this place was built by one of those wealthy summer people back mm -hmm. in the 30s right. in honor of her daughter. And it was named after John Drew, one of the Barrymore family back from right. the 20s, who never set foot in this building. This building didn't exist. He mm -hmm. had died, but they loved him in this community, so they named the theater after him. He was mm -hmm. a bon vivant. So that spirit has been here for at least a hundred years, and um, yeah, I'm happy to be a part of it. We should go watch the artists across the street. Oh right, right. so we're just yeah. Um, uh, sorry. <laughs> uh, so just thank you so much. I think we should probably end on a note. If you have as an educational initiative, uh, if you have any advice or what you what advice you give your son or young mm. performers or actors you're starting to collaborate with, you know, in terms of, you know, what you've learned along the way and what they need going into this <laughs> odd vocation. Uh, it, it, well, it is, it is an odd vocation, isn't it? In a lot of ways, because mm -hmm. you're, you're, you're giving your life over to playing roles and telling stories and not being yourself but bringing the very essence of yourself to the story so uh, advice would be 
which I would give to any actor at any age, including myself mm. at the age of 50. Do what you love. Follow your passion. Follow your bliss. It's the great line from, you know, Joseph Campbell. You have to, you have to follow. And, and if you love to do something, you should do it. You should pursue it. And, and don't take no for an answer. And don't let fear hold you back. And, and you know, pr I think the commonality in all of these great performers that, that have been here, all these names that I've dropped in this interview, is that what they bring is the spirit of joy and passion and the love that they have in their life and the light that they have to celebrate uh, being alive. And they put that into their work in some form. Mm -hmm. And that is that's that holy moment that you mm -hmm. look for as an artist whether you, I, I mean I'm assuming it's the same for a visual artist where you're looking to capture some spirit some intelligence some heart but uh, but I, th I know as a performer you have to bring your heart and your soul and your bearing to your work and and pursue it passionately and bring that light to the stage and and don't hide it under a bushel as my wife says don't hide your light under a bushel you know you've got to show the world you and, and people respond and resonate to great art they they feel it it's a vibrational feeling that is that is holy the hosanna to life is joy in some form and you and hopefully you leave the theater mm -hmm. having had a communion with something that is beyond the day-to-day -day. it lifts you it's mm -hmm. it's you know the same as in a re in a good religion in a, in the way that religion should enrich your life art should enrich your life and make you feel the presence of god for mm -hmm. for want of a better word not that i'm a religious man but it's you you know you're creating so that you are you are you're playing with that universal power and, and you're part of it that's the good stuff Yes. Well, thank you so much, uh, Josh Gladstone. Sure. And I yeah. thank you, Guildhall, who have been so welcoming to our project, The Creative Process. So just thank you for adding your, your insights and everything you're doing in the community. And uh, and may uh, Guildhall and the John Drew Theatre be here for uh, another hundred years to come. Yeah? Here, here. Okay. Thank you very thank much. You. This interview was conducted by Mia Funk with the participation of collaborating universities and students. Associate Interviews Producer on this podcast was Emma Vion. Assignment Editor is Sorella Lark. Wintertime was composed by Nikolas Anadolis and performed by the Athenian Trio. Has this interview sparked your creative process? If so, you can submit your creative works to submissions at creativeprocess.info for an opportunity to be included in the projection elements of our exhibition, Traveling to Leading Universities, or published on our website, www.creativeprocess.info. Want to get involved in exhibitions or interviews? Email us at team at creativeprocess.info.